Ratlinks, November 2019, a podcast. Welcome to the November edition of Ratlinks. I hope it finds you well. This month focuses on the theme of appearance. While the issue appears to be about music, appearances can be deceiving. I saw three very different concerts this month. Aging rocker Phil Collins, mid-tempo dad rock band Wilco, rock rapper Post Malone. Those concerts and the following quote were the genesis of this month's edition. What is character but the determination of incident? What is incident but the illustration of character? Henry James. Topics this month. The times they are an agent. You can run, but can you hide? Let's doppelgang. You can't hide your lion eyes. Mazel of the month. Lessons from Disney CEO Bob Iger. And a book review. Read this, then that. Heck, I even made you a playlist, which you can find on ratlinks.com. As always, you can return to this issue or find all previous issues at ratlinks.com. Now, without further ado, let's get weird. Take a look at me now. For those unaware of Philip David Charles Collins, Lieutenant of the Royal Victorian Order and Lord of the Gated Reverb, he is an English drummer, singer, songwriter, multi-instrumentalist, record producer, and actor. He was the drummer and later became the lead singer of the rock band Genesis. Phil Collins is also a solo artist who is very much alive, as illustrated by the slight title change of his most recent tour, Still Not Dead Yet, a follow-up to last year's Not Dead Yet tour. While his voice is vintage Phil Collins, health issues have limited his mobility, forcing Mr. Collins to walk with a cane and spend most of the show seated. His 18-year-old son, Bill, is now on the lead drums. Wait a second, Phil Collins has a son named Bill Collins? Sadly, no. His son's name is, is Nick. But you have really good listening skills, my friend. This led me to ponder, what are other rockers doing in their golden years? What about the guys with the biggest stage presences? The ones that lived aggressively? Feed my Frankenstein. Alice Cooper is the godfather of shock, and exactly who you think of as a textbook example of a hard-partying rock star. Turns out, Mr. Cooper has been sober for 37 years and doesn't eat sugar. Alice Cooper still has one vice, though. He drinks a lot of Diet Cokes. Alice Cooper has been happily married for 43 years and loves his wife so much that they can never live without each other. Or, said differently, they have a death pact. We made a pact. There is no way of surviving without each other. I couldn't live without her. We always said there will never be a time when one of us will be mourning the other. Whenever it does happen, we are going to go together. Mr. Cooper later clarified, this isn't a death pact, but a life pact. She dances better than she did in 1975. You would think people would want to get away from their wives, but she is my best friend and there is no way of surviving without each other. I'm going off the rails on a crazy train. I'll give it to him. Alice Cooper appears to be quite lovely. There still have to be some hard-charging aging rockers, right? What about the Prince of Darkness himself? How is Ozzy Osbourne still at it? Yes, pesky old science has proven what we're all thinking. Ozzy Osbourne is a genetic mutant. Wait a second. What exactly are we talking about here? I know you said this issue would get weird, but come on. Let's go to the source himself. 
I was curious, given the swimming pools of booze I've guzzled over the years, not to mention all the cocaine, morphine, sleeping pills, cough syrup, LSD, rohypnol, you name it. There is really no plausible, plausible medical reason why I should still be alive. Maybe my DNA could say why. Ozzy then had his genome sequenced, leading to a surprising finding. The musician has several gene variants that we've never seen before, said geneticist Nathaniel Pearson, who sequenced the rocker's genome, including variants that could impact how Osborne's body absorbs methamphetamines and other recreational drugs, thus confirming Sharon Osborne's theorem. I've always said at the end of the world, there will be roaches, Ozzy, and Keith Richards. Man, I feel just like a rock star. As an older millennial, I somehow missed the memo on face tattoos. Back in my day, tattoos were quasi-taboo, spoken about yet rarely seen. Today, things have changed, and face tats are not only a sign of pride, but also acceptable in some lines of work. At a recent concert headlined by Austin Richard Post, the rap rock superstar colloquially known as Post Malone, Halfway through his performance of Take What You Want, Malone's recent collaboration with none other than genetic freak Ozzy Osbourne, the obvious question was posed, how many face tattoos does Posty have? A quick image search showed no less than five tattoos, such as Stay Away Above His Right Eye, a traditional barbed wire headband, and Always Tired written across his cheeks. Now I'm not one to judge anyone's personal fashion or life choices. I'm also sure his grandmother thinks he is very handsome, yet this led me to ponder. Face tattoos are both distinctive and very painful to apply. What if you need to remove them? Face tats are obviously a focal point of the Post Malone brand, leading Posty to likely end up with more, not less face tats. How about all the other face tatted rappers, say one entering witness protection? Behold the tale of Takashi 69. If you're over the age of 30, you likely have no idea what I'm talking about, and that's okay. We begin a saga that has adequately been described as a Greek telenovela tragicomedy. Danny Hernandez, aka Takashi69, is one of the most notorious SoundCloud rappers, known for his viral hits Gummo, 358 million views, and Fifi, 780 million views. He has roughly 14.3 million Instagram followers and quite identifiable thanks to his multicolor braids and the numbers 6 and 9 tattooed almost 200 times on his body, most prominently on his forehead. In a nutshell, Takashi was not just a rapper. He was also a member of the Nine Trey Gangsta Bloods, who, according to prosecutors, are gang members responsible for violent crimes throughout New York City. At a recent trial, Takashi acted as a cooperating witness in a sweeping racketeering and firearms case in order to receive a reduced jail sentence. In the rap game, street cred matters, and Mr. Hernandez has all but eviscerated his credibility, leading to a sub-genre of insulting memes and worse, gang members that Mr. Hernandez testified against, deeming him a snitch and threatening to kill him. As a part of his plea deal, Prosecutors indicated Takashi could enter the Witness Protection Program. Now, we are all familiar with the Witness Protection Program, thanks to movies like Goodfellas. By enrolling in this program, Mr. Hernandez would be given a new name, relocated to a new town, and in theory, disappear into obscurity. Takashi, thanks to his face tattoos, may have a problem. Hey gang, do you doppel? Earlier this month, 
Wilco released its 11th studio album, Ode to Joy. Eagle Eye readers may remember the piece on Wilco's lead singer, Jeff Tweedy, in Ratlink's issue 5, Oh May, Oh My. While I could rehash the joys of seeing a mid-tempo dad rock band play the hits, a far more interesting discussion is one about the crowd at this show. Looking around Radio City prior to Curtain, I noticed that everyone kind of looked like me. Behind me was a guy who could double as my uncle, or at least a distant cousin. To my left, just me with a beard. To my right, a version of me with more boxy glasses. Super weird, right? Or maybe there's a stereotypical Wilco fan, and maybe that fan looks identical to me. Leading me to ponder. At a specific event, like a concert, are you self-selecting into a group with similar tastes, and does that lead you to encounter more doppelgangers? For reference, a doppelganger is a non-biologically related lookalike or double. After consulting with a subject matter expert, the answer appears to be yes. That hypothesis led me to a further question. Do some people's appearance make them more likely to have an unrelated twin? Said differently, do some people's looks make them more likely to have a doppelganger? Standardizing facial features allows for simple calculation, say, male with brown eyes, blonde hair, a round face and a fleshy nose, short hair, and a full beard. That reveals the probability of a person possessing the exact same features as you is about one in a hundred thousand. The issue here is that people can perceive faces differently, meaning that just because a person's face isn't exactly mathematically speaking the same, people can perceive them as the same because they gauge the sum of the face instead of each individual part. This explains why many of us think identical twins look exactly alike when in reality they have many differences. To ensure that a face can be recognized in any context, the brain employs an area known as the fusiform gyrus to tie all the pieces together. If you compare it to finding a country on the map, it's like checking it has a border with France and a coast. This holistic sum of the parts perception makes recognizing friends a lot more accurate than it would be if their features were assessed in isolation. Be aware, your mind can play tricks on you. When you see someone's lookalike, they may appear to be a perfect clone, but if you were to get them side by side, you might not feel that they are true doppelgangers. Yet sometimes your mind isn't playing tricks on you. You are not incorrect to think Pete Davidson's last girlfriend was just him in a wig. Let's recap. According to Nick Filer, a statistician involved in the computer-aided facial recognition project, if you are an individual with an average face, it's comparatively easy to find someone that looks similar to you, i.e. a doppelganger. Think you have a celebrity doppelganger? There's a new app called Gradient that can help you. Be aware, this isn't an endorsement of that app. I'm not sure what they do with your image, and it may be unsafe to download. Mazel of the month. A mazel to Justin R. and Yonina S.R. on the birth of their baby daughter, Zena. A mazel to Sammy F. on her, her acceptance into the NYU School of Nursing. A mazel to J-Law on her nuptials to Cook M. Nick B., older brother of my grade school pal Alex, for dropping a remix to his succession theme with Pusha T. Mazel to all. The House of the Mouse. This month, I was fortunate to see Disney CEO Bob Iger speak. 
Mr. Iger also has a new book out this month, The Ride of a Lifetime. Unfortunately, I have not had the time to read the entire book. Instead, preferring to share an anecdote from the lunch about Bob Iger's relationship with Steve Jobs. When Mr. Iger was appointed Disney CEO, he looked to make an acquisition. Disney, historically known for animation. However, the segment was currently one of the company's weakest. While nervous about being too aggressive with M&A, his wife told him the average tenure for a CEO is only four years and he should not be timid. This led to Disney pursuing Pixar. Pixar had the best talent, but its partnership with Disney was fraying. Iger knew Pixar wasn't for sale, and if it was, it wouldn't come cheap. Iger also knew if he was going to buy Pixar, he would have to win over its CEO. This led to phoning Pixar CEO Steve Jobs to schedule a meeting about a crazy idea. Instead, Jobs wanted to know the idea right then and there. Iger, calling from his hot car parked in his driveway, tried to delay to no avail. Knowing his relationship with Jobs was strained, Iger offered to put ABC shows on Apple's new video iPod as an act of good faith. This led to an eventual meeting at the Apple headquarters. Both men were standing in front of a whiteboard in a boardroom. Iger, quick to point out, Jobs was the one holding the marker. Jobs listed out the pros and cons of the acquisition, ending up with three pros and 15 cons. Iger turned to Jobs saying, I guess we're done here, to which Jobs replied, yes, and since the pros outweigh the cons, we should do the deal. A deal that made Jobs a Disney board member and its largest shareholder. The book further details this event, as well as a much more important story, one about Mr. Jobs confiding a secret to Mr. Iger only 30 minutes before the Disney-Pixar deal was to be announced. I can't do justice in retelling the story and recommend picking up the book for that tale and more. Mr. Iger closed the lunch discussing his future. While he's unsure of his next phase of his career once he leaves Disney, he made it clear he has no interest in running for president, no matter how much Oprah wants him to. Read this, then that. This month I read The Charisma Myth, a book that focuses on three tenets of charisma. Presence. Live in the moment. When you find your attention slipping while speaking to someone, refocus by centering yourself with deep breaths. Power. Remove self-doubt. Assure yourself that you belong and your skills and passions are valuable and interesting to others. This is easier said than done. Warmth. Radiate a certain kind of vibe that signals kindness and acceptance. Imagine a person you feel great warmth and affection for, and then focus on what you enjoy most about your shared interactions. It is worth noting Steve Jobs, the aforementioned founder of Apple and Pixar, exhibited mastery in power and achieved high marks for presence. However, according to his daughter, Lisa Brennan Jobs, in her 2018 memoir, Small Fry, Mr. Jobs Lacked Warmth. I recommend reading the book in its entirety, but if you can't, read the article linked below.